Hey everybody, it's Mike. I had to jump in here and give a little disclaimer before this show starts up. Uh, this is our fear show. It is closing out Octofear, Octofear, whatever it was we did for this for October. Um, it gets kind of introspective. It gets kind of uh, real. It gets kind of a little not what you're expecting from us. And uh, just fair warning, you know, we this is kind of pulling back the curtain and seeing what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in our heads type of thing. And uh, it may not be the show you're expecting, but uh, by the end of it, we, you know, we all decided it was a good show. It's um, good conversation, good, good uh, reflection. And uh, for anybody who's a new listener, if this is the first show that you're listening to, we have 111 more. Go choose one of those. Um, <laughs> definitely get a taste for us on our funny side before we start giving, uh, getting all, uh, you know, reflective on this one. Um, so without further ado, a very special 40 going on 14. You are now entering the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. And welcome to episode 112 of 40 Going On 14. And I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And preparing for the show, I really wanted to go to a German sausage festival, but it turns out I fear the worst. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sweet Jeebus, are you trying to steal my thunder? Wow. (laughs) Oh. 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 That was physically painful. I was hoping for exactly that reaction. Oh my god! That reminds me of the other, another similar joke, a great joke. Um, I bet I, I walked in the butcher shop and I bet the the, the butcher that he couldn't reach the t bones for a hundred dollars that were up on the top shelf without using a ladder, and he said, "No, I can't. The stakes are too high." Yes. Yeah, so if you haven't picked up on that, this is welcome to the meat show. The meat show. <laughs> the meat <Sarah> show. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> I don't know why you would have picked that up. Uh, we, this show is on fear. We are talking about fear, the things that scared us when we were kids and then things that uh, freak us out as adults. And this is a uh, suggestion show by astute listener Joe Eberino. Nope, so, David Jensen. Nope. Oh, David, David Jensen. Jensen. Take that back. Fun. Joe suggested something else. But we can't do that because we don't do video. <laughs> <laughs> but it's coming. Joe, Joe su- suggested extra softcore porn. It's where you just sit around with your clothes on and hold hands. Aw, snuggle porn. <laughs> this is kind of an extension of our October, even though uh, by the time the show goes live, it will be the day after Halloween. Or maybe it will be November. <laughs> yeah. November. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be uh, the weekend uh, Halloween finishes up, so it'll so, be. Yeah, we've got that awkward where uh, our Halloween month that we do every year. This is our third year doing it. Yep, uh, uh, is kind of five shows this year, so this is sort of appropriate. Yeah, I mean, because fear is uh, part of the whole Halloween thing, and uh, your bonus show is fear. <laughs> that's bad, <laughs> but it comes with sprinkles. Ooh, that's good. The sprinkles have MSG. Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> yes, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. Okay, so. Before we go into this, 
Um, well, if you're ever scared and you're looking for a cool, soothing voice to uh, calm you down, Josh, where would you find some cool, smooth voices? Personally, <laughs> I'd probably go with Barry White or... Oh, you were trying to do the transition. Yeah, I was trying to do the transition. Network. Yeah, once again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you could check out uh, all sorts of geek theme podcasts at the Musings of a Geek Podcast Network, including The War Pod, Dark Angels and Pretty Freaks, The Arrow of Time, Green Up, and The History of Bad Ideas. And of course, everyone's favorite sports show, Left The Field Left Field Sports, sports Lounge. Lounge. Yes. Green Up. And uh, if you're uh, looking to listen to us on Saturday, let's say while you're getting your costume on around noon o'clock, you'll find us at Geek Life Radio and uh, listen to us there uh, streaming. I like that you've committed to the noon o'clock thing. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> All in. Uh, if you're also looking for older shows, you can find us on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe, and coming soon, Google Ooh. Play. Yeah, Google Play Music has added podcasts, and we're a podcast. And we're added. We've been approved, and uh, when it goes live, 40 going on 14, we'll be on the uh, starting lineup for those shows. That thing's blown up huge in just a matter of like a day and a half. Well, yeah. I mean, outside of Apple, what else is there? Google. So now that Google's finally gotten their, uh, I almost said shoe in the ring, but then I realized that was a bad analogy. Yes, we need to talk to you about your hats. (laughs) <laughs> so if you want to call us and uh, ask us why Mike's wearing a shoe on his head, you can do that at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can also reach us on Twitter at 40go14 or via email 40go14 at gmail.com. All right. You know, wearing a wearing a shoe is a hat? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, a sign that, that's a sign that you're in the Knuckleface Jones gang. <laughs> Are we back to this, Patrick? Hey, kids, that was a joke from last week. <laughs> Knuckleface Jones. Sorry. Why do I, I, I don't know, I just see the Knuckleface Jones show starting with like a variant of the Fat Albert theme song. <laughs> I wish that's it's got the show. same big sweater, but there's just a fist for a face. <laughs> and, and it's a, hey, 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 it's... <laughs> Is he French? No, he's got a knuckle for a face. That's how he talks. <laughs> Not according to you. Oh, that's and true. Josh. Not, no, Josh has the best voice. I was trying for something different, but it didn't work. So move on. Nothing to see here. <laughs> All right. After that crash and burn, uh, do we have any listener feedback, feedback uh, now? Uh, most of what's been going on has been on Twitter lately. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm glad you asked because I forgot to bring up the tweets, but I can do that now. Well, in the meantime, Pat will sing a song. Uh, let's see. We got a bunch of... Oh, sorry. Most of our tweets are either from Joe Aberino or uh, Nikki from New Zealand. Nikki. Uh, Joe has some comments about uh, the worst candy. Uh, he said, worst candy then and now, candy corn. Although no one would just give you what? a handful loose. And that's true. Have, you wouldn't just I, get a handful in your bag most of the time. I currently have a bag of half-eaten candy corn on my desk right now. Where do you buy a bag of half-eaten candy corn? <laughs> That's a really good question, actually. Did they bite off? I thought it was half eaten. I'm just like, did they bite off the orange at the bottom or the white at the tip? (laughs) No, he was just at the store. The candy corn isn't half eaten. The bag. Well, I didn't eat half the bag. Never mind. Move on. He was at the store and it said candy corn half off, and he jumped on it. Why would I jump on the candy corn? Because you're shut up. (laughs) Uh, Also from Joe, he mentioned circus peanuts are terrible too. 
Yes. Which, uh, apparently the world, I, I may be the person single-handedly keeping up the circus <laughs> peanuts industry, and I don't even eat them all that often. My grandmother was a big circus peanut fan, but she's been long gone, so yeah, you might be the only one left. I'm Is so glad. Of you, the circus peanuts? Yeah, I'm glad you added the word fan <laughs> to that sentence. She would still be alive today if not for circus peanuts. She was crushed when they found out they that she was a fan. They brought her, that's how she died. She <laughs> they found out she liked circus, circus peanuts. peanuts buried at the <laughs> bottom. Brought a truckload of them to her. Covered in cornstarch and a smile. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a couple of tweets from Nikki here. Uh, she mentioned that she sent a couple of voicemails, but she's still an episode behind. So I don't know if we played. We played two of hers recently. So yes, yes we did. And oh, I, I oh, I discovered something. Speaking of Nikki, about cricket. I, I made a cricket discovery this week. Did you know, I'm not sure what's happening when the guy throws the ball at the guy with the cricket bat and they're supposed to protect the pegs or something like that, but I don't know what's going on there. But what I did discover is that I think it's the bowler who's throwing the ball can mm-hmm. actually target and hit the defender. Yeah. I did not know that. That's like a totally new thing. I mean, that opens up a whole new dimension <clears throat> of the game for me. I thought they it's were their, just... It's their job as the batter, as a batsman, I think is what they just called, is, is to just hit it wherever the guy throws it. He can throw it at anything. He's, he's just got to protect the pins or whatever they're called, and he's got to try and like knock the ball out of play. Yeah, because I know that I found this out of what was on Reddit, and there was a video on there of like an old school like cricketer uh, taking on one of these new punks who thought he was, you know, the hot shit in cricket, I guess. And he was, was uh, finally called him out. I was like, all right, you, you defend against me and I'm going to pitch, I'm going to pitch at you. And he wound up breaking two of his ribs. I mean, he just chucks. I mean, cause they don't just stand there and throw it either. They like go down to the end of the hallway <laughs> and run and, oh, then, yeah. and then pitch that thing. And the guy, he got him like right under the arm and hit him in the ribs, like up there and, and like cracked a rib on him from up there. So brutal. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, cool. I didn't know you could do that. Now I'm, now that there's actual violence involved, I, <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Okay. Speaking of violence, uh, the whole, uh, pastry that is disputed between Australia and New Zealand uh, that didn't produce any sort of angry response but merely a correction to my pronunciation spelled phonetically she's got it as Pavlova so, uh, the tennis wasn't she on the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit Pavlova wasn't that the dog that like salivated whenever there was a bell? I was going to say yeah that's, that's Pavlova that was the dog that was on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit <laughs> <laughs> Now giving away Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> that was a callback. Wow. That is a callback. Well, there's another uh, mystery solved. <laughs> and uh, there's one last tweet from Joe Abarino, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later because it is actually a suggestion for this show. Ooh. So it's going to come up naturally. Right. In the meantime, is it about that time? Oh, I think it is about that time. Thank God. Music. Movie. And sports. All right, welcome to This Week in September 11th, 2001, one of America's scariest moments. Oh. I figured it was appropriate since we're doing a show on fear. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're actually taking that tack where we're not going for, like, monsters. We're going for things that actually make people scared. And that, yeah, yeah, that was a moment. Thing, yeah. So, uh, music at the time. The number one song is I'm a Real, I'm Real Murder Remix by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule. Jennifer that was Lopez. Where she would, so Jennifer. go ahead. I was going to say she's always singing about murder. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, she was in that. Uh, oh, what was enough? The one where she played the battered woman and ended up murdering her husband. The, the documentary about her career. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! All right. Uh, at the 18th MTV Video Music Awards on September 6th, Lady Marmalade by Eve, featuring Gwen Stefani and Moby, wins the most awards, and Britney Spears performs her new single. Is this actually the name of the song, or is this the acronym of the week? That's the acronym of the week. Okay. <laughs> Never know. It could be the name a- of the song. You're right. L A S. No, not L. La. I A. I A. I A S for you. Yes, that's uh, Igor allows sausages for underwear. <laughs> it's kind of crotch related. And we're crotch. back to Always the go crotch. <laughs> Always go crotch. Otherwise, and- you end up with snakes in Yon Boeing. <laughs> That is, of course, anyone... I'm a slave for you. There you go. Ah, so she oh. uh, performed I'm a slave for you in a revealing outfit and featured a number of exotic animals, leading to criticism from animal rights organization PETA, because that's what they do. Yep. Despite the fact that they kill just as many animals as any kills any in, any shelter out there. I, I thought they killed more. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, also, the Michael Jackson 30th anniversary special was a 2001 New York City review show that took place on September 7th, 2001 and September 10th, 2001 at Madison Square Garden. In late November 01, CBS aired the concerts as a two-hour special in honor of Michael Jackson's 30th year as a solo artist. The show was edited from footage of the two separate concerts. Ticket prices among, uh, oh, what's MSGs? Madison Square Garden. Oh, Madison Square Garden's most expensive, uh, were mo- uh, most expensive ever, sorry. Uh, the best seats cost $5,000 and included dinner with Michael Jackson and a signed poster. Ooh, a poster. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh a piece of candy. Yeah. The King of Pop reportedly earned $7.5 million for each of the two concerts, over $150,000 a minute. Jeez. The official box score was just over $10 million for both concerts. Good That's God. no circus peanuts. So they actually lost money on it. They had to pay him $15 million. They only made $10 million. Good God. That's nuts. Well, I mean, for a long time, he was the biggest entertainer in the world. And oh, yeah. I think as years passed, uh, each year since his death, I feel like the bad joke that the end of his life unfortunately became in popular culture is fading, and the legacy of how great his early music was remains. He oh, was yeah. an amazing artist, and he's honestly one of the artists that I really regret never seeing in person. Yeah, Agreed. I'm right there with you. Yeah, because well, you were too old by the time. It, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I apologize for that. That was a cheap shot. <laughs> well, he, I mean, he did touch boys. I mean, but he was still an amazing artist. Yeah. Uh, in the wake of the World Trade Center attacks, Clear Channel Communications issues a controversial memorandum to its radio stations containing a list of 165 songs considered lyrically questionable oh, in boy. the aftermath of the September 11th attacks. The list includes such hits as Knocking on Heaven's Door, all songs by Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> I never understood that one. <laughs> you know, just they probably just listened to like uh, Bulls on Parade like, and were like, like, you know, these, these guys sound mad. Let's not yeah, play they're, them. They're just, they're just angry all around. Um, and John Lennon's Imagine. I could kind of see that. Like, I, not not that it was a reasonable decision for them to make because that that's horrible. But I, I think they didn't want to get uh, to celebrate anger against the establishment when someone could say a terrorist act is an act against the establishment. Yeah. And it's a very corporate suit shitty way to look at the whole situation. Killing in the name of. Nah, nah, nah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
This is yeah. the same same company that when uh, when Katrina happened and all the people died in New Orleans, uh, they sent out the memo: "Do not play tragically hips. New Orleans is sinking." Or uh, it's raining men, by the way, the girls. <laughs> <laughs> so movies on uh, September fifteenth, Amelie, directed by Jean Pierre Jeunet, wins the People's Choice Award at the twenty sixth Toronto International Film Festival. I went to see this with Dennis. I've never seen it. It's, I own it's, it. It's actually really good. I think That's what I I've heard, it. but I've never seen it. I've heard it's amazing, but I have not gotten around to it uh, either. It, well, you've seen City of Lost Children, Josh, so yeah, yeah I haven't seen that either. So you know, but um, we're sitting in the theater, and you're familiar with Dennis. We're it's getting ready. The lights, you know, I was reaching the point where everyone's going to, uh, where you can tell the movie's going to start soon, and it's me and him in our jeans and t-shirts, surrounded by all sorts of like artsy people. So you just put your mind around what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And just as the lights go start to go down, Dennis turns to me and goes, this is a French flick, so there should be lots of tits in it. (laughs) (laughs) And cue the movie. (laughs) Just like, oh, never can never say that man didn't have some great or doesn't have some great timing. So yeah, his timing is very good. All right. So a movie's released this week included Hardball and Rockstar. Why don't I know what those are? Hardball is a Keanu Reeves baseball movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. And Rockstar is the Mark Wahlberg uh, story of Judas Priest, basically. Oh, well, there you know. Go wide. I haven't seen or heard of either of those. Yeah, Rockstar was actually pretty good. Jennifer Aniston plays his girlfriend. Yeah, it's not bad. I haven't seen Hardball, though. I've heard there's lots and lots of swearing by little kids in that movie. Yeah, Hardball wasn't too... I mean, it was like the um, Mighty Ducks with uh, baseball. Well, it's got Keanu Reeves, and you know my rule, so I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, Victor Wong, a Chinese-American character <clears throat> actor who appeared in many movies in the 80s and 90s, died on September 12th. You would know him from Three Ninjas franchise or Big Trouble in Little China and Tremors. Sorry, call back to Three Ninjas kickback from last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have to you say, had- the, <clears throat> Victor Wong is probably my second favorite uh, Asian uh, character actor. Yeah, you would, you definitely would know him if you saw his picture. Um, in the movie The Golden Child, he played uh, the old man who was who was Charlotte uh, Lewis's father. Are we talking mm-hmm. about Egg Shen from Big yeah, Trouble? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah Big Trouble uh, heavily features my favorite Asian character actor, which is of course the the master James Hong. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's just so good, and he's in everything. And with <laughs> I say, caught right, caught right, and you know, answer. <laughs> I, I was so happy. I don't know if you guys are fans of Agents of Shield. Yes, but when that he turned out to be the actor playing Melinda May's father, I was so happy. That's cool. So uh, TV, the Nielsen rating system, released no numbers for this week. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, it was the, this Uh-oh. week. Yeah. yeah. Everything was coverage. And, uh, and then when coverage stopped, everything was concerts. It could have been real easy. They just could have been like September 11th, top of the charts. I mean, seriously, too soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Damn it. We're just we're just going to go with too soon all the time from now on, Joel. Yes, <laughs> I apologize, Patrick. Get out of my head. So, uh, sports. Say, it's my role, not yours. What are you doing? I I beat you earlier. You're stepping outside the box here. Before you got here, before the show, I I beat you to it. Really? All right. <laughs> and just I, now, Joel went through his fourth puberty. We'll tell you about it later, Pat. I need closure on that anecdote. <laughs> so, uh, sports on September 9th at the 121st Men's U.S. Open. Uh, Leighton Hewitt beats Pete Sampras seven to six, six to one, six to one. And at the 121st Women's U.S. Open, Venus Williams beats her sister Serena Williams six to two and six to four. 
It's not 1980s tennis. I got nothing for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Inves- Invesco? Invesco mm-hmm. Field at Mile High opens up on September 10th, 2001, as the Denver Broncos defeated the New York Giants 31-20. to so there you Now, go. was that a new stadium, or was that a rename for a stadium that existed? Re- a rename, yeah, Mile High Stadium. Mm. Actually, well, I mean... It's it's a it's a new stadium and a rename both really. I mean they they tore down Mile High and built in the same spot in Vesco Field at Mile High. So. Oh, kind of like Comiskey. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. All right. So there we go. That is this weekend. Now, on to the main show: fear and phobias. I'm afraid. Can we wait? No. Damn it. So fear, noun, an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. And then phobia, noun, an extreme or irrational fear or aversion of something or aversion to something. So uh, I don't even know where to start on this one. Well, I mean, uh, when we were young, I assume each of us had something that uh, scared us. Uh, I guess we could start there at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I remember having nightmares, but I mean, remember being freaked out by stuff. But uh, let's say, Pat, I'm curious about this one. When you were a kid, what was the thing that freaked you out? <clears throat> uh, roaches. Seems that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> they still freak me out. Yeah, that's going to be in the, the in the now as well. <laughs> like to the point of like a, an irrational fear of them, though? It is, it is a straight up crazy, weird, irrational fear that I have. It's one of my biggest, if not if not my actual biggest fears still to this day. It's from when I was a kid, and it's just always been an irrational fear. And by irrational, I mean I have had pet tarantulas and scorpions and an anaconda at one point, piranhas, all these things, and I would touch them with no problem. Even the piranha, I would reach it and just like, you know, when it was at the top of the cage and scare the shit out of it by touching it. Because <laughs> that always ends well. Yeah, yeah, scare a piranha, it's fun, you know? <laughs> Yay! That's what my pal Stumpy told me, at least. <laughs> So, I mean, I've held all these things in my hands before, but if a roach comes within three feet of me, I act like uh, a, it, a little baby. Like when you start screaming I, like a southern bell? Yeah, pretty much. That's I. It's not becoming in any way at all. It's My father used to get so mad at me, no matter what age I was, because I'd just be like, ah, kill it. <laughs> and he'd just look at me like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. And he'd go over and just kill the roach. <laughs> Son, I am disappointed. Yeah, so that right off the bat, let's just start with yeah. That's my big. That's probably my number one, if not number two. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> in the whole bug thing, sting, well, stinging insects. Down down here in Texas, just for a little clarification, where I grew up and where I am now, roaches take on a whole new meaning <laughs> because down here, no exaggeration and absolutely no lie, the largest roach ever caught in Texas was 14 inches long. Roaches grow to an enormous size down here due to the immense humidity and trees everywhere. There's a ton of trees, especially, you know, in, in the suburbs because they, they, there's area, there's an area where I live called the woodlands, which is, they make a huge effort to keep as many trees as they can. So that there are tree, tree beetles and roaches and they fly. <laughs> Are they the hissing so like, kind, too? So, like, when we moved down to Houston and, like, I go to kill my first roach, I'm like, oh, my God, look at the size of that. And I go to swat it with a fly swatter, and it flew and hit me in the face. <laughs> Game over. I was like, okay, at that point, I'm like, nope, this is this is going to scar me for a long time. And turns out, 40 years later, still scarred. Are you also terrified of money shots? <laughs> <laughs> Does that bug you, Pat? No, I don't think terrified is the word. <laughs> 
Intrigued? Is that the word? Intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> Annoyed, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, roaches, man. I mean, I had I have had to like step on a roach like four times to kill it here. I oh, mean, you because so, it wouldn't die. Yes. I mean, you these things like drive Harleys. I mean, they're <laughs> <laughs> they push back when you push down with your foot. I, I opened my bedroom door one time. There's a roach on my bed getting a tattoo. I'm like, oh, you know, go back later. Oh, I'm sorry. So what, what you're saying do? is, is that right now there could be a roach right near you, and you might not even know it. No, I know. I that, I have to have cognitive dissonance about that because I know that there are roaches in the walls everywhere in Houston. What you does just a roach you cannot attached? avoid them. You can't do it. It's just impossible. What, the best roach... do is just keep them in the walls is he getting like a can of raid tattooed on his arm <laughs> yeah no, he and like his 900 siblings all have a mom tattoo <laughs> there you go. what about you josh i mean I, I think we've all got a bug thing because my reasonable fear you guys may know uh, that i'm allergic to bee stings makes sense yep. so <laughs> I, but i didn't know it yeah i'm I thought terrified you were say spoiled of bees, milk. but that kind of developed into <laughs> Did you hear what he said? <laughs> no, I missed it. <laughs> he said, "Also spoiled milk." I uh, know oh, that doesn't terrify me; it just disgusts me. <laughs> um, Dance. The uh, bee thing, though, kind of developed as uh, a young man. I'd say even into college, to a fear of all flying insects. I can remember as a kid uh, down in a cabin. I was kind of stuck between a door and a screen door, and there was a big old. Uh, fly that was trapped in there with me and was buzzing around my head. And I, I on some level, I, I think I thought it was a bee, but it, it, when it was flying around me, uh, I got to the point where even if a moth, which are completely harmless, would uh, fly anywhere near me, even as uh, late as college, I, I'd shriek like a cheerleader and run away. <laughs> Uh, I eventually kind of feel like I grew out of that, but uh, bees, bees still, I, I have to have a lot of self-control to not just, like, scream and run. I'm all right with bees. It's the, the segmented ones. Uh, wasps or hornets or yellow jackets. The, oh, well, that's a rational fear. Everyone should be afraid well, of those. Those things are just, they're just here to mess shit up. I mean, they are yeah. not here to help in any way, shape, or <laughs> they, form. They are the assholes of the insect world. <laughs> yeah. We had bees actually this last summer underneath our front sidewalk. Bees are buddies. Yeah. I know. And, and <laughs> you know, they're like, well, unless they can kill you. Yeah. That's yeah, true. No buddy of mine. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's, and it wasn't like, I didn't want to kill them. So kind of like, you know, wash, put water under there, try and scare them out, that sort of thing. And then I put a brick over the hole. So I probably wound up killing them anyway, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) I gave them time to get out. Um, but like stingy insects. And then somebody wants like, Hey, have you ever heard of this thing called the cow killer lives in Southern America? I'm like, it's like, imagine, take, take a, a wasp and make it as big as your hand. Fuck that. Oh, 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 no. See? Yeah. Oh. And yep, it's, and, I'm good. We don't And also that. in, uh, we go down to... Um, I'll throw a roach at it. Yeah. <laughs> we go down to Branson. We go down to, you know, Missouri, like uh, um, that area of Arkansas touched up Missouri. There's these things called uh, velvet ants. Oh, those are vicious. And they're 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 wasps with no wings. Mm-hmm. Those sucked. And they're big, too. And I mm-hmm. will. And, and again, not my proudest moment out at the pool. Velvet ant comes walking on there. And then the girls wonder why daddy's screaming like a little girl. Why? <laughs> And then I got in trouble for breaking the cement with a cinder block because it's just like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just that shooting, it, shooting a baby with a panther cannon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what about uh, Joel? Uh, well, I, I mean, as far as the, the bug thing goes, I mean, I've never been a fan of horseflies. They they freak me out because they're so large. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas regular sized flies don't bother me at all, but horse flies will sting you. They'll bite you or whatever. But, um, I mean, like irrational fears, I got plenty of those when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, my, my brother, which was probably more of a very rational fear. Um, what, he was he, a fear. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that's rational. Definitely. <laughs> definitely afraid of my brother, but not uh, your brother, you should be afraid. Yes. Yes, you should. And still should. Um, Freddy Krueger or ghosts, you know, were kind of an irrational fear, but like a very real fear to me was, was either drowning or getting trapped in like a small space. Just the idea of, of not being able, cause I grew up, you know, with asthma. And so I knew what it was like to not be able to get your breath. And so I knew that I had a relief system. If I, if I took my inhaler and eventually learned how to control it just by breathing methods, I could stop it. But the idea of that same feeling where you can't, you can't stop it grew to be a, a big fear. And I, and I love to swim, but being out in the middle of the ocean, like, uh, open water, that kind of a thing where oh. there's no, no land in sight. There's no boat. There's no, you got a small flotation item of some sort. And eventually, oh, you know, you. you're going down, you're going to be eaten. And that to me is like the ultimate. It's one of the reasons why I don't want to go out on any sort of boat. I don't, I stay away from open water like that. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, no, I mean, I, I, I respect the ocean too much. There's way too much out there that, that it's all their territory and I'm glad to leave it to them. One of the, the scariest moments I ever had, like in terms of this was when I was going across the sea of Japan from, uh, Korea to Japan to go visit. Um, it was middle of the night and it was, you know, so the sun was gone. You're out in the middle of the sea of Japan, halfway between one place and the other. It is on the deck of the boat. It is completely pitch black. You cannot see the water. You cannot see the, the anything in front of you or behind you. There's no lights anywhere except the lights on inside the boat. And just the thought of falling off of that scared the living crap out of me. Yep. I, I, went, I took my father on a cruise for his 65th birthday. And at one point we were going across the Gulf of Mexico. And there was a, a point during the middle of the night, same thing, just nothing anywhere except for the blackness and the moon. And I, I, I had the same thought. I'm like, man, if you fell over right now, you just, you're just dead. I, I, yeah, I would immediately just be like, screw it, I give up. <laughs> I'm <done. laughs> yep, I'm, I'm not even gonna scream. I'm just gonna be like, no, just keep going. I'm just, I'll just stay here. <laughs> blah 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 blah. Bye. Yeah, I'll I'm just a- swim down as far as I can and spin around until <laughs> I don't know where I am. It's done. <laughs> And I'm fodder for the giant whatevers. <laughs> Godzilla. I'm all Hopefully right. Cthulhu I'm... eats me. Yeah. Right. You were just enough to bring him up. That was it. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so how about nightmares? Did anybody have any recurring nightmares? Like like a, uh, like a theme nightmare? Uh, I've had one on and off uh, pretty much my entire life. Um, it always starts with being in a house with too many windows and, uh, in all the buildings around, there are these figures. It's difficult to make them out there. I, the best way I could describe them is your kind of standard, like trench coat and hat neighborhood watch guy kind of things. Mm. But I, I just acknowledge that they're looking from all directions into the house. And if one of them sees me, they're going to kill me. And I always end up escaping into this weird kind of Escher-esque, sometimes it's a basement, sometimes it's a tower with uh, stairs going all over the place. And on the walls, there's this weird painting that uh, is terrifying for some reason. Like, I don't think it kills you if you look at it, but uh, it's definitely a cursed and deadly painting. And then David Bowie shows up and saves you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I, yeah, the, okay. the rest of the the dream, like there are always all other interchangeable elements, but the the stairs, the <laughs> fucked up painting, the too many windows, and the guys 
like hunting me by looking through the windows or had always been common elements. Wow. I just in my head I I did the emo Phillips continuation of your nightmare. You're like, and so there's a scary painting and there's a couch under the painting and I laid down and that's where I had the dream. <laughs> there you go. I had okay. I'm hesitating to tell you guys this one, but Why? I had a recurring dream of it was almost zombie esque, where there was like some sort of disease being carried around and. This is young Mike now, so you know me now, so imagine me then. <laughs> it was these people that had giant noses for heads. Okay? <laughs> and if you were too close to them, now this is like eight or nine years old, I remember this. And when they sneezed, you would turn into a nose head person. <laughs> the politician was hell. Yeah, it was. And that was just like running away from these nose head people. And I remember having this dream a lot. How did they see you? Were they I don't snotty? know. I guess I guess they could smell. could smell you, but they, <laughs> they would sniff you out. I guess, and then you know, like Man. the one where you're hiding under a, under you know, like you know, behind a box, and you hear the sneeze, and the person next to you starts to mold, and their face melts and turns you into a fish, nose. You could fish your own nose if your whole face was a nose. Imagine the size of the boogers you could pick. Ew. What? Right. And we're here. It's a <laughs> in and of itself. Now yeah. I'm afraid of Patrick. <laughs> all right, Patrick, did you ever have any dreams of cockroaches crawling all over your body when you were a kid? Uh, I'm sure I did. <laughs> He's gonna now. Yeah, <laughs> if I didn't, thanks a lot. <laughs> um, I really, I don't remember having many nightmares other than like some of the standard ones of, you know, school when you're in your underwear or like you're, you know, you're trying to run from somebody and your feet are stuck to the ground. I don't. I mean, very generic nightmares. I don't remember having any specific ones. Yeah, I had one where this my school turned into like a dungeon. You know, there were like monsters. But the thing was, that was kind of like scary at the beginning of the dream. But that at that point, I was so into D and D and all that. I was like, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I passed my dexterity check. Yeah, uh, I need a weapon. <laughs> I wish I had a weapon. I don't remember like a recurring dream, but I one dream that has never left my consciousness, and I don't know why. But when and, and when I was growing up in the house I lived in, we had a, a like a I guess you'd call it a family room now, but it was it was kind of more like the size of an office, maybe a little bigger. But you know nobody was using it for that, so there was like a, a, a an easy chair in there, and there was these giant drawers under this little built-in TV cabinet. So you put the TV in the thing, and then there was these giant drawers underneath that had like toys in it and stuff because that was where we spent most of the time. And then there was, you know, the big chair and there was a couch and like the big chair was green and made out of like, like a pleathery vinyl substance, you know, and it was, it was big and old and it was scary you know, part. Not yet. Oh, and okay. you could, you pull the lever on the side and it would, you know, turn into a recliner. And then the drawers had these giant handles on them that, that were just weird looking. So anyway, in the dream. I came downstairs, and if you came down the stairs from my room, you could walk directly into the little family room. There was a door, and the door itself was creepy enough. But I remember coming down, walking in there. It was night, and all the lights were off. And I walk into the family room, and the door slams behind me, and the chair, like, grows arms uh, where the arms are. Like, they grow longer. 
And then the 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 door, the handles on the drawer, like reach out and grab me, and the chair is like trying to kill me. And I don't know why, but it was freaky as hell. And I didn't. Like it was that. in your dream. It was a yeah. mimic. <laughs> it, didn't ha- it happened for real. Yeah, Pat. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know. It was something about it just freaked me out because I never liked that room anyway because it always felt like somebody was watching me when I was in there. And I'm pretty sure there was something going on, but yeah. Obviously, the chair was watching you. You need to I burn that chair. Well, I think Rockwell was in the closet. <laughs> Been my theory for most of my childhood, <laughs> but yeah, it freaked me out. I, and for some reason, I can, I've never shaken that dream. Like it's followed me my entire life. I can picture it like it just happened. You, you just had it the one time. Hmm. Yep, so wow. one time. Hmm. Must have felt very real. It, it, it did. And yeah, that's why you remembered it so much, I guess. Yeah. Then the chair chased me. I don't know how a chair chased me, but it did. All right. How so. about movies? Movies when you were kids that scared the crap out of you, like like ones that you. Nightmare watched. on Elm Street. Honestly, did the first one. Yeah. Well, I told you that story about my dad coming home in the middle of us watching it. And the oh. gate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that scared the shit out of me. <clears throat> me, it was Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, the movie. The movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. See something really scary? Yeah. Not, not, not even that. Let's, let's, can you, actually, we talked about it when we did the, with that, that rabbit. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh my God, that rabbit just scared. I mean, and now to the point where it's like, even when I was making, posting that picture, it was like, kind of like, oh God. <laughs> I mean, I we went and saw that, and then that rabbit's. I mean, I was all right. And you know, the thing is, like at that point, it was like you get yourself all worked up that you're going to be scared in the movie. It's like, oh my god, this is going to be terrifying. You know, the whole thing with the, my pregnant mom scaring the shit out of the dude at the very beginning, us freaking out for the "Are you really scary?" thing, and then kind of mellowed down because they had the one with the kids in it and all that. You know, the old people turn back into kids and that sort of thing, and kind of mellow out a little bit. And then that fucking thing popped up, and my <laughs> guard was down. And it was just like, and that night, waking up, because that rabbit was in my closet. It was in my room somewhere, and just that thing has terrified me. <laughs> just hanging out with Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> rabbit and Rockwell <laughs> sitting in a tree. <laughs> S-C-A-R-I-N-G. There we go. We were right there, Pat. What about yep. Joel? Movies. Um, well, I mentioned it uh, in the beginning, but for me, I didn't even need to see the movie. When I saw the, the commercial on TV for Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, he's got his arm stretched out and he's, you know, running his, his glove against the wall. And then, uh, you know, the a nightmare on Elm Street. And you see that crazy logo and, and everything. It just freaked the hell out of me. And I, like, for a very long time had a real issue with having the lights off in my room. And then when I, I, I've told the story before, but when I went to go visit my grandmother, she, I stayed in the guest bedroom and there was like this, this big bed. And in the corner, there was a closet that had one of those, like, accordion doors. Not like Weird Al Yankovic, but like, you know, <laughs> slid open and it wasn't shut all the way. And I, I, I was too scared to get up to shut it. I was too scared to get up to turn, off the, turn on the light. And all I could see was the crack. And the, in the crack, it was completely pitch black. And I was convinced that Freddy Krueger was in there watching, just watching. And I don't think Rockwell was there. I think he was back at home. But <laughs> it, it, it scared the crap out of me. And until I... <laughs> until I overcame the fear and then like I said I, I had a six foot tall Freddy Krueger life size poster behind my door and it became like a thing like I fell in love with the whole Freddy thing it was it was like my biggest one of my biggest fears I'm totally you conquered your fear I did and then I became he made, he made it my bitch <laughs> <laughs> 
Josh? That's not true. I'm most sorry, Freddie. You're going to say look forward to seeing him tonight in your dreams. Most of the actual like scary movies and uh, such didn't affect me too much when I was a kid because I think that uh, my mom like built them up to be this terrible, horrible thing. And um, what was in my imagination was so much scarier than the reality when I was finally allowed to watch them or snuck out to watch them myself that uh, they weren't such a big deal. Now, what's funny is there is one thing from movies and TV that really screwed with me, though. Wasn't the actual episodes, but I don't know if you guys remember a series from the 1980s called Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. intro fucked me oh, off. Oh, that, that kind of reverse. Yeah, I mean, most of it is just like pastoral scenes, but it's something about the music and then the sudden shift to like black and white out of focus. Well, they, they inverted the, the, um, so instead of being the, you know, normal color, they flipped everything. It was inverted. Uh, okay. So like the blacks were whites and the whites were blacks in the color scheme and it, it was messed up. And there's just something about the combination of the music and the images. Like usually I could handle the episodes, but like the opening title sequence would terrify me. Yep. I'm right there with you. You have to post that one to the Facebook page. I'm sure it's on YouTube. I'm working on it now. Did you guys watch Tales from the Crypt? Yeah, Tales from the Crypt was good stuff. Did that scare you? That was uh, on cable, though, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it was on HBO. Yeah. But Tales from the Dark Side was on regular TV. Correct. Oh, it was? But, but because it was on HBO, it, it got a little more uh, graphic. Yeah, and I think that was one reason why I was never a Tales from the Crypt fan, is it was a little bit more splatter right. and a little less dread, and uh, splatter never did anything for me. The movie that scared me as a kid, I I uh, don't remember how, but I snuck in. I snuck somehow to see this movie either at uh, home on cable or something. Or where the wild wherever. fern grows. <laughs> uh, the Exorcist. Oh well, yeah. I, I saw that movie way too young. I think I would had to have been like ten or eleven. Oh, geez. oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that was messed up." <laughs> I turned, no. turned it off. I'm like. I probably should have done that. That probably messed me up for a while. All right, let's go try to sleep. Nope, not going to do that. <laughs> See, that's the thing. is like when you watch one of those movies and you're like, I shouldn't have done that. Yep. That was a bad idea. Like, uh, I know I know, Exorcist 2 was terrible, but did you guys ever see Exorcist 3, the one with uh, George yep. C. Scott? Yep. The old lady crawling on the ceiling? Yeah. And there's that, oh, yep. that through Giant the whole movie, there's <laughs> that whispering and, ah, that was the one that opened the movie opened up at a uh, archaeological dig, right? Yeah. Okay, then I have seen that one. Yeah, that that's a good one. Um, what about later on high school reading? Stephen King was really popular when we were in high school and that sort of thing. So I mean, like at the, I want to say almost at the, at the I'd say the peak. Uh, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, I went through a period where I had up till about 1998 read every single thing he'd ever written. Yeah. A new, I remember a new Stephen King book coming out was a big thing in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I, I got into Stephen King in college. I was reading more Dean Koontz in high school. Yeah, I read, I think the first one of his that I read was A Stand. And that was weird, but it wasn't like his full-on horror type stuff. Yeah, and that's a weird one to start with, considering it links up a bunch of uh, his other worlds in some ways. Well, and that, the reason I, that, I read that one is because it was one that was sitting on the shelf. Sure. Like my parents had it, and I was like, oh, okay, I heard about this. I'll start reading it. Um, though I will say, reading Silence of the Lambs, 
<laughs> that one because that was after the point where I they had moved um you know your traditional time of living in the basement you know you have your room in the basement and when you reach a certain age so you don't have to share a bedroom with your 11 year younger brother and they moved me down to the be- the bedroom in the basement now the thing was this room was all the way down at the bottom hang a left all the way down at the end of the hall and you had to go past like the garage and the laundry room and the uh the the uh, cubby storage thing and all that to get back to the stairs type of thing so i was like remote in the house staying up all night reading uh silence of the lambs and there was a tree that was near the near the house in that corner and it had a branch i finished reading turn it off and it's you know windy out and you, all you hear on the outside of the is this <laughs> As the branch is like, I don't know what it was rubbing on, but it was like on the siding or my screen or something. Two in the morning, I'm out there with a saw <coughs> cutting a branch off a tree. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm never going to sleep ever. I, I recall of all of the Stephen King uh, books, the one that actually like affected me and scared me was The Shining, and it's probably because I read it in one sitting. Like, started in the afternoon and ended in the middle of the night. Just went straight through. Yeah, you gotta break that shit up, man. Especially getting to the end at night. Oh, yeah. No shit. That's a great one, The book, I mean, as much as I like the movie, the book is so much better, and I hate to say that, you know, because that sounds so snobbish when people say that, but it is true. Well, they're great in different ways. Because yeah, exa- that's exactly it, because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. No, it's fine. Because um, mm-hmm. the, the movie is so much more Kubrick than, than, than well, King. Well, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that's the main the main issue I have with it. I mean, I like it as its own thing, but I don't like it as a Stephen King adaptation. Sure. And the adaptations of his work are kind of spotty anyway. Yeah, and, and the, yeah, the, the ones that, you know, that they did do, like the one with Stephen Weber and everything, that was just crap. It had Stephen King's, you know, thumbs up on it, but it was crap. Which well, right. Was it was closer to the book. Mm-hmm. Right. He was there for that, and it was actually shot at the Stanley where the, he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, did yep. you guys go beyond Kuntz and uh, King and Lovecraft into some of the other, like Clive Barker or... Oh, yeah. Clive Barker was definitely on my list. And that was another one of those where it it didn't so much frighten me as it gave me a mild sense of paranoia. Like Clive Barker and H.P. Lovecraft, you read those late at night, and the next day you're walking around and you're wondering who's a friggin' monster. You know, who's wearing the mask? Who's what's that 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 shadow out of the corner of your eye that's gone now? That sort of thing. You know, that's that's the type of. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever read a Clive Barker book. Oh, you need to. Uh, I would recommend the Great and Secret Show. I was just going to say that. That's, yeah, that's that's the one that stuck with me. That's actually if you, um, my brother is uh, on X when he's Xbox Live handle is the Jaff. Oh, cool! I, I apparently it's part of a trilogy, and I've never read the other two. Well, for me, and I, I think this has come up before, and you guys thought it was odd, but. The only two King books I ever read were Eyes of the Dragon and uh, The Running Man, but they're not even, I mean, they're Bachman books, um, and they're not even really horror, in my opinion. But And The Running Man, the movie, was actually better than the book. Oh, I disagree. I, I liked the movie so much more, but I also, it was an Arnold movie, so I was I en- biased. I enjoyed them separately. I, Running Man is a soft spot in my heart. Um but uh, for me, then one of my one of my the only books I really read that was horror as a kid because I didn't really get into horror until I was uh, older uh, was a short story book called Primeval, and it ha- was short stories by Stephen King, Clive Barker, uh, Peter Straub, um, and a bunch of other authors. And I just remember really really liking it. And I believe the 
the Stephen King short story in there is the one that was later turned into Night Flyers. Is that is that the name of that? Oh, okay. I think it was yeah, that's the one about the vampires. Yeah, and then um, the Peter Straub one really messed me up. That was a weird story. But was that the uh, one with the frogs? I don't remember that his had something to do with it was like sex offenders, but yeah, I'm remembering that book, and I remember there was one that that freaked me out that was about uh, a like a couple moves into a house, and everybody in town tells them to board up their windows, and then it starts to rain flesh eating frogs into their house. It sounds familiar. I it's been yeah. I was probably pre high school when I read that book. It's a great collection of stories if you're if you are interested, but. Um, the only other horror that I really started to read, I, I picked up, uh, from the library, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist. Ooh. And I made it about, I don't know, a couple chapters in, and it gave me horrible headaches to read it, and I had to stop. And I, I seriously, I blame the book, not, not, not <laughs> I, the content, not the, not the Sure. Book, no, not. I'm laughing because there was a story about someone having a similar experience. Somebody's boss was like a real religious guy. And he said he started reading it and got about as far as you did and claimed it was the most vile, disgusting thing he'd ever read. So he walked off to the end of the pier and threw it into the river. I didn't and, do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the employee purchased a copy of the book, ran it under the sink and put it in his desk. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it did, though, for whatever reason. I don't know whether it was just a, a because I the movies freaked me out so much, but. You know, I tried to read it. And I've never it, read it. I, I, I want to check it out now. It messed me up. So. I'll tell you, the, the only book that, or actually the first book that scared the crap out of me reading was uh, the Amityville Horror. Oh, man, I bet. That, that, that is so well written. Yeah, it's a good one. I haven't read it yet. I mean, it, it was one of those where I had to put it down every now and then, like, ooh. Like, just sit, sit like, like you said, Josh, you know, sitting at 3 o'clock in the morning reading it, and then something just kind of, you're like, okay, yeah, going to set this down, try and sleep. And you just lay there with your eyes wide open. Like, mm. <laughs> so what about in college? Any full-on fears in college? Not graduating. Yeah, Dying of alcohol dead. poison. <laughs> uh, that was actually when I learned how much I disliked uh, heights. Oh. Uh, I, I have uh, on a completely irrational fear of heights. And uh, to date, lighting is the one position out of virtually anything you can do with a theater. I've directed, uh, AD'd, stage managed, props, costumes, acting, whatever, sets, building, like all of it. Can't do lights because I can't hang them. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Would you, can... Did you learn that when Cave Ninjas was going on? <laughs> Um, usually like up on the roof, I, I mean, you've got a wide open space. It's like, I don't know, it's being on a ladder or being on anything where I can like look down and like I, I could die. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't be too near the edge when we were up on the roofs doing cave ninjas. And it also probably helps that most of the time I was up on the roof uh, in college. I was a shit faced. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know. College? I, well, for me, for college, my biggest my biggest fear during college was like legitimate fear was um, it was not too long after I'd been held at gunpoint and mugged and beaten. So I yeah, sorry, sorry about that again. Yeah, that wasn't you. the The whole concept of of being downtown um, it just it, it was an irrational fear that took me a long time to get over. I couldn't I couldn't and didn't want to be part of that. If I was on campus or walking up to Denny's or wherever I was good, but as soon as you know I left that area of of the college area, I it wasn't I couldn't do it. Hmm. Later on, I mean, and I you know took the L downtown every day, and I fell in love with it, and it's my favorite place. But 
Not back then. I'm trying to think of anything else that I would be because college. I mean, we were kind of like you get that invulnerability, obliviousness going on because yep. you're in a little capsulate encapsulated society. Like, yeah, you got your own little bubble that you're living in. You got your only people that trend. I mean, that there really wasn't anything that I could think of that I would go. I was, you know, initially freaked out about. I mean, there was, like you said, failing classes, not graduating, that sort of thing. But, you know, I can't think of any point where I would be like waking up in a nightmare type of thing. Huh. Yeah, it was a different time. Pat, I mean, while Mike's thinking, did you have anything? Um, that might have, that might have been the beginning actually of my fear of death because my grandfather died my freshman year of college and it was like the first brush with a real, you know, someone very, very close to me dying. So. Yeah, I guess that kind of developed in college. Like the reality of death. Yep. Yeah. You know, and and the realization of you know how life is finite. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, on this high note, you want to take a break? <laughs> we're going to bring things down a little bit yeah. as we go into the break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, things that uh, we're afraid of as adults and how things have changed over the years. Yeah, I'm going to get all depressing for the now too. So. <laughs> Thanks, David. And welcome back to the Fear Show. Ooh. Ah, you always get me. <laughs> so Texas. We uh. just oh God. We just finished talking about uh, fears when we were no, no, no fears <laughs> when we were kids. So uh, now we are talking about the fear now. Um, it's no, it's no joke. Our lives have changed <laughs> since. I, mean, even, I would say so. Yeah. Um, three of us are married. Two of us have kids. You know, it's it's a life. Both life-altering events, but single to married. Like as as being married, Josh, like is the new newest married of us. What I mean, what are things that that you fear now that you didn't fear before then? Well, it's kind of hard thinking about these differences to separate fear from anxiety because I think a lot of it for me has the irrational fear if a phone call isn't returned when it normally is. Uh, that something horrible has happened and like I c- can't function until uh, I get that return call. I'll, I'll f- freak out, start thinking the worst, start crawling the fucking walls. Yeah, I can agree with that. That I mean, and, and again, trying to think of how we functioned before cell phones. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's the thing is like, I, I don't know, like, coming up on eight years married, I'm getting better at it. But like those first couple of years, like if, uh, I didn't know uh, Sarah was okay. I'd have a hard time breathing. Like I just couldn't function as a human. See, I, I actually my, my ex had that same thing, and I just I don't know. I guess I'm not that way. And you mentioning the cell phone thing, Mike, that that might have something to do with it because we did grow up in a time when you would just not hear from somebody if they went right. out. You know, yeah. You just wouldn't know that they were okay until suddenly they're back. You're like, okay, I guess you're all right. Yeah, you like would when, trust that they were okay, and they would come back when they said. Time yeah. right. And now it's it's like people use cell phones almost too much. You know, it's it's like, okay, I'm I'm on I'm on the road. I'll be there in five minutes. I'm like, well, you know, in five minutes they would have found out. Hey, you know what? Five minutes ago you were five minutes away. Mm-hmm. Sure, and that's why I say it's kind of hard to tell the difference between what's a legit fear 
or even an irrational fear and what's a function of untreated anxiety. Right. You know, and, and regardless of rationality or not, I mean, it's, it's still something that exists and it creates real things. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's a side effect of technology, though, because we so rely on that to tell us when and where everyone is at all times that now even something, something back then that would have been like Josh, caused Josh to have these kind of feelings back then, we wouldn't have thought twice about it because we didn't know any better. Yeah, and now here in America, where you know everybody is almost always under constant coverage, it's odd to not get back, somebody to get back to you right away. Yeah, right. So, but uh, Pat, what about you, man? As the single, as a single, living his life on the edge. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's make it sound glamorous, please. Yeah. Okay. You with your wild and crazy food truck ownership, and as a, as a man who's never found a woman that can stand him long enough to marry him. <laughs> your all night uh, parties and your disposable income and your. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that for yeah for too many years that actually was true. I was going to uh, say that's pretty much just not having kids, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we've been down that road so long, Mike, and I don't remember. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, the the new fear that I've developed is is pretty much just I, I don't necessarily know if it's if it's death by itself or like dying alone or dying with you know with no accomplishments in my life and feeling very unfulfilled. So it's kind of like everything is pretty much slanted towards the death angle for all my fears now hmm. and roaches. Death and, death and roaches. That's going to be your autobiography title. Death and roaches. I mean, if death by roaches, that would I would probably no. That would I would never forgive the universe ever. Pat, with the passing of your father, would you say that increased? Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily know if the fear of it increased, but the it's it's a lot more to the forefront. You think mm-hmm. you dwell on it more? Yes, 100%. I know we've talked about this off to the side where like we both dwell on death, but I tend to only do it late at night. Right. I'm in no, this- it's it's something that is uh practically constant. Um it's 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 one of those things where it's like it's surprising when I realize that I haven't thought about it in a while. Hmm. What were you going to say, Mike? Well, I was going to say live, you know, living with grandma. You know, like we shared a house with my grandmother for when she was 80 till she was 96. And it was awesome because, you know, the kids grew up living with grandma. When she started getting older. Getting and she was to, just an awesome person, too. Oh, no yeah. kidding. Stubborn as all get out. I mean, that's, you know, she wasn't going until she was ready type of thing. <laughs> she was all our grandmas, though, man. She was so awesome. Yep. Makes me happy to hear you say that. Um, the thing is, like, in the morning, getting up, going to her bedroom, and my mom would be like, can you just wake up, you know, check on grandma? All right, fine. Every morning, getting up, and there's that fear, and it's not—it's not an irrational fear. Here, you're dealing with somebody who's 94, 95 years old. It's just going to be the day. Yeah, and yep. opening the door, looking, she's breathing, she's all right, she's doing okay. Because I would get up early, you know, she would sleep late. Um, but eventually, I don't want to say it—it it didn't wear down. There was always a that trepidation to it, but little by little, I began to accept it. That this could be okay. This could be it. Is it? No. Good. Is it? This? No. Good. To the point where, when she did pass, I had built. I think I. I wasn't as. I don't. I hate to say I wasn't as upset, but I wasn't as abrupt to me as it was to other members of my family. Well, when you have a lot of time to work through the stages of grief, and you've already kind of come to acceptance before it even happens, I think that's I mean, it. I think that uh, you know, so many times opening that door and checking, getting myself ready for it. You know, like this could be it. Open yep. the door. She's all right. You know, that sort of thing to the point where, you know, like that fear of that death of her death never just I don't say it was blunted, but it was almost like 
I'm prepared for this. You know, thing. that's a really interesting thought that I've never had before. And we're getting serious here, but everybody that I grew up with that was older, that has since passed away, elderly family members, they all went through Alzheimer's, almost 90, 99% of them. Um, and so there was nursing homes and there was long drawn out lifespans where you never knew if the next day was going to be the last day. Mm-hmm. Plus you had the dementia on top of it and you had just a, a string of things that, you know, gave you time to really kind of com- connect yourself to the fact that it's not going to, it's not going to end well and it's going to end at some point. And I always wondered why when all those people passed away that I didn't get more upset at the funerals. And thinking about it now, it's because I spent so much time with them prior to that, that I had that chance to get through it. I always thought there was something wrong with me, but I think the reality is, is it was, it was exactly what you're talking about. And, and not to mention, I mean, my, my grandmother, you know, had dementia and Alzheimer's both as well. And by the time it finally takes them, it's, it's almost like it's not even them dying anymore. And it, and that's another reason why I just, it feels less sad because you're almost just relieved that they're finally at peace because it's it's no longer them anymore. It's just a vessel at that point. Yeah. See, that's that's the thing is that's not how it was with like with with my grandma. I mean, she was right. herself all the way up until the end. Yeah, I mean, she was she, sharp all the way. Yeah. Yeah, and every time she'd see you, if I was fifty years younger, Patrick, you'd <laughs> still be too old for him, Grandma. It's, it's, I also think that there's a component of everyone processes deaths of people close to them a little differently. Because uh, uh, when my mother passed, it was, I don't want to say it was sudden, but it, it looked like the cancer was completely gone. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. And then uh, a month later, she was on hospice. And like three days later, when they thought it was going to take months, she was just dead. That, that's almost exactly the same script that I went through with my father. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, it, it didn't affect me immediately the way it affected everyone around me. Uh, the only time, uh, I had struggled, uh, real hard with it was a time where, uh, my little nephew, he was too young to really understand. And it was getting to, uh, the holiday season and talking about how he was going to spend next Christmas with her. That's, that was rough. Yeah. Wow. But like yeah, tr- trying to explain to my little six year old niece, you know, why she wasn't going to, what, why Papa wasn't, you know, going to be around anymore. That was tough. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure it affected me, but it wasn't like I had gone through the stages. It just kind of happened. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I think everybody just processes it a little different. Well, this so. has been an up show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we didn't I know. think it's going to be a, you know. Yeah. Well, no, we, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, no, it's good. It's just not, I mean, you're not a normal, uh, slapstick and pies type of thing right no we no. knew we were getting personal here and uh that was in the suggestion wait 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 uh, we have pie normally <laughs> you didn't get the memo i've been missing out on pie all these months for 112 <laughs> episodes you've been missing out on pie man it's good pie too yeah why do you think i've gained so much weight story <laughs> of my life lately been missing out on all the pie <laughs> so joel yes sir. the other one with kids now there is a there's i forget which there was a comic online comic that i read and those guys talking about fears it was and i said like when i was a kid i was afraid of giant spiders and you know that monsters in the closet says now that i'm have kids my greatest fear is someone crying behind a door that i can't get open and i wish the spiders would come back i can handle the spiders (laughs) having kids man i'll tell you you want a whole bunch of fears um from the point where like you took the first big freak out i had with uh katie um she wanted to go to the park. We were leaving for somewhere. 
I had like run over to my mom's house, cross the street, go drop something off. Suzanne sat her in the car, went to go get, you know, ran up to go get the bag from the front door. In that time, Katie decided she was going to the park. And she got out of the car, and she was just like maybe two foot tall, maybe three or three, maybe younger, and just disappeared on us. I mean, we, that was a f- complete and utter flip out. Yeah, I don't imagine Suzanne yeah. taking that too well. Yeah, well, yeah, me either. I mean, because in, <laughs> in, in, in a heartbeat, we had everybody that was home in the neighborhood calling out Katie's name until, you know, if I'm more talking like a good three minutes, longest time of my life until one of the neighbors from around the corner, like down the end of the cul-de-sac, take a right towards the park, comes walking around the corner with Katie on his hand. <laughs> She's like, I saw her walk by the house, and I said to myself, <laughs> she probably shouldn't be alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that point, we realized how stubborn Katie actually was. <laughs> she had just decided to go to the park. So she walked <laughs> off, freaked us out, and it's that, it's that you know, you have that, the I can't believe. Of, of, of stubborn and smart that yeah. you're going to have trouble with. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you know that fear of losing one of them of them not being nearby and joel i mean tell me how many times you've been like at the park or at the mall and that sort of thing and you turned around and they were just there yeah i mean <clears throat> growing up with the uh the whole adam walsh thing you know that that left an impression on me as a kid seeing that as from the kid's perspective but as you get older and, and you start to realize that you know you've really you've got to keep an eye on them at all times um it it makes it a very real fear. Um, but I remember the very first time I got to the point where you're kind of where at, um, Juliana was probably, it was, this was before Isaiah was born. She was probably two. Um, and she's prone to nosebleeds. It's just part of who she is. And so this was early on. I didn't know this. It hadn't really started yet. So I, Amy's working, uh, the, uh, the day shift. I'm working nights. And so I get up to go get Juliana and Amy's already gone. And I walk into the bedroom and there is blood. Oh my God. Everywhere. Ugh. I She's just, covered in blood. Oh my God. I just got the chills. The crib is, is white and it's covered in blood. And I, 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 I completely flip my shit. I mean, I, I run over and I just start hyperventilating and I pick her up and I'm looking all over to try and figure out where the blood is coming from. Because she's been up for a while, so she's moved around a lot, and I can see, you know, where she's put her hands, and I can see it is smeared all over the place, and I cannot figure out where it's coming from. <laughs> so I'm like, like paint, <laughs> <laughs> right? And and she's, you know, she's crying anyway because she was ready to get out of the crib, but I, you know, I immediately start making phone calls trying to, you know, uh, what do I do? And when I finally figured out where it came from, you know, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief, but at the same time, I was like. It took me a while to kind of recover and, and then, you know, I had to clean it all up and it never happened again until she was older when she started to get them and, you know, we knew what to expect. But that very first time I thought, I thought she was hemorrhaging out and that was it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the same thing when Katie, like Katie was born, you know, she had the, uh, the cystic fibrosis thing kicking in and, you know, they took her away in the, you know, I mean, your baby is literally 24 hours old. So and they put her in one of those big incubators, toss her in the back of a ambulance and drive off with her. You know, Suzanne and I stayed in an apartment, rented an apartment for a week across the street from the hospital where she was in a neonatal intensive care. And you want fear. I mean, your baby. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you, let's, you want to get a definition of fear is that, you know, your baby's in there. And then, but part of it was the good thing about it was the doctors that we had there. I mean, and, and, and helping that break that fear. I mean, they had one, one gentleman that was there. He's like, when we got in there, Katie, again, one day old, laying on there, uh, laying in her little, what do they call that? Bassinet? Thing, yeah. A little bed. And we show up, we're like, hell, we're Katie's parents. This is interesting. And the, the nurse is like, oh, the fighter. And we're like, what? How she can't fight anything? She's, she's like hours old. There's no way she, you know, she's like, oh, no, no, hang on. She's coming there. And then her upper lip is bright red. Then, uh, you know, again, the fear, what's wrong with her? This was, cause at this point, we didn't know it was cystic fibrosis. We just knew that she wasn't eating. Everything was coming back up and, you know, just uh, the baby, you know, she wasn't going, wasn't thriving, that sort of thing. So there's that fear, you know, you have this first child and, oh my God, it's something is, something has happened. And the nurse is like, no, she's, we, uh, initially gave the uh, oxygen to, to her where they put the little thing under her nose and that, and that. She apparently didn't like it. I reached up pulled it off her face. So they put it back on, reached up, pulled it off her face. And, you know, that you know, realizing the nurse is like, she's a fighter, she's a screamer. You need to worry less because she's doing this because all these other babies in this neonatal and care, neonatal were dead silent. They were just laying there. You know, so she's like, we like it when they scream. That means that there's something there. She's like, look at these these other kids. They're They're sick, sick. So, I mean, just that first week, you know, I talk about it. Just continual fear was well, the first week. You you brought back another memory that I right. I think I had somewhat blocked, but I that that's take it back a little further. I that wasn't my first experience. That was my first experience alone. Um, I remember when we were living in the box house, the the little shitty piece of garbage house, and our neighbors next door, Alice and Josh, were you know we would they were kind of our lifeline. Um, we had gone over there to hang out with them and took Juliana with us. She was two weeks and, um, she was running a super high fever. I mean, like just crazy high for an infant. And, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And so, you know, luckily Alice was a EMT. And so she takes her and she's kind of giving her a once over trying to figure it out. And she goes into a, a, a fibril seizure and she throws her head back and her eyes roll and she just locks up. And starts having a seizure. And here's your two, your two week old first child. And, and I mean, just the entire, I'm sure all the blood rushed out of my face. And so we did the same thing. Ambulance came. We were following behind the ambulance to the hospital. She was in the hospital for, I don't know, it was, it was several weeks, um, with an IV in her head because you couldn't, you know, you can't put it on their arms or legs. Um, and they weren't sure if she was going to make it because she had bacterial meningitis at two weeks old. So, you know, when we finally got her out of there, got her home and she was on the mend, you know, they were thinking long-term repercussions. And then a couple weeks later, I got viral meningitis. So, you know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it's a whole different level of fear. Jesus, guys. Yeah, I know. Great, huh? Hey, did, Pat, I, did, I, well, did I mention that I'm afraid of roaches? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trying to get Pat to, you know. Get, yeah, get ready. You should have a kid, man. It's be good for you. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think I want to ever even touch a kid. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking wait, like <laughs> I I remember the uh, the fear every time uh, Sarah's period was a couple weeks late. <laughs> <laughs> End of sentence. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's it's the thing is it's it's 
fear with fear with the kids. I mean, you 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 want to protect them, and now especially like like Joel, you're, the you know girls getting older. Katie's fifteen, and she went away for the weekend for like a week for a trip to Michigan. I was squirrely as shit. Huh. I mean, I was just like. Wonder if she's okay. I'm, and, and the thing is, restraining yourself, being the guy who's not, I'm not going to text her because I know she's fine. You know, yeah. That, yeah, that sort of thing. So, Mike, when you were telling your story, I couldn't help thinking that uh, when you're saying that uh, there's blood and they're uh, telling you in the hospital she's a fighter, my imagination immediately goes to, oh, well, they're organizing a baby death match. <laughs> <laughs> baby fight club going on. Yeah. In the- you should see the odds on her, man. <laughs> She's the Tom Hardy of the ICU. (laughs) So taking things in a slightly different direction, uh, what you guys know, but some of our audience might not know about me, is that for years before it was a series of movies and it was all over the Travel Channel, I was involved in an active member of a group that was uh, paranormal investigators. Josh lived it. Yeah, I uh, got involved with this. When a buddy of mine in the gaming group, who's still a very close friend, uh, friend, listener to the show, uh, Mark, before or after D&D, we'd go to spots that were haunted and, you know, shoot a couple rolls of film, see if we got anything. Just it was a casual interest. And uh, at one point, uh, we go into Robinson Woods here in Illinois, uh, where there have been a number of uh, unusual photographic and... uh, audio results of unexplainable phenomenon recorded and we walk into the woods and there are these two guys standing there already and we kind of look at them and they kind of look at us and we're both like uh drug dealers and we pass them and we go and uh i see camera flashes from behind us i'm like holy shit these guys are here for the same reason we are so we went back, struck up a conversation, uh, ended up uh, retreating to a local – I think we actually just went to Denny's and like uh, ordered food and talked about uh, what we'd done. And we ended up uh, joining their group as a Haunted Chicago Paranormal Research Investigations. Cool. And uh, we did this for a series of years. Uh, pretty much I, – I think I was active in that group from 98 to about 2002. 2003 you came and did a spot at my apartment yeah i recall we did an investigation uh when you guys were uh having some unusual things happening i I lived in a haunted apartment at one point and uh most of the people i tell this are like well do you have any creepy stories and yeah there are a few but uh most of the time as a paranormal investigator who doesn't have a ghost tour and isn't interested in selling books it's very boring. You're spending a lot of time out at night in the woods or in cemeteries with a bunch of equipment, writing down data, shooting a lot of pictures, writing stuff down, and expecting that 90% of your work is just going to be, nope, it's cold, it's boring. And anytime you do get something that's an anomaly, you have to very carefully look, okay, could this possibly be a problem with the camera? Could this possibly be... Uh, someone shined a light in the wrong direction. Could this be someone's breath interacted with the film weird? Or just general atmosphere. Or yeah. Uh, lens flare. Any of those kinds of things. And for everything that made it to the website, there's probably 50 results uh, that we discarded as we weren't sure enough to put them up on the website. 
And for every one of those, there's probably a thousand just normal. Oh, look, that's a tree. (laughs) That's a gravestone. Um, uh, About the only thing that was really freaky in my time doing that uh, was uh, we would regularly go to Bachelor's Grove in Midlothian. Now, uh, Bachelor's Grove is one of the most haunted sites in the United States. Uh, it's a little cemetery off in the Midlothian Turnpike, about a quarter mile into the woods. Uh, and throughout the years, you'd have uh, various murderers would dump their bodies at the trail, not even knowing there was a cemetery there. There's a little lagoon behind the cemetery that was a mob dumping ground for uh, guys who had been taken out. What's it called? Uh, Bachelor's Grove. All right. Thanks. Uh, every single site we went to at different times had a different feel to it, but most of them just felt like anywhere else. Bachelor's Grove, whether you went there day or night, it never felt good. And at night, uh, frequently, it felt actively hostile. And I, I tend towards the more skeptical when it comes to the paranormal. And I don't know. It just like it felt like something didn't want us there. And uh, one time we decided to uh, go to Bachelor's Grove to shoot a roll of film or two. And the guys got real paranoid because we we're a little too close to Halloween, which meant the police were out in force. And yeah. they were all afraid of being arrested. And uh, I said, you know, fuck it. I'm, I'm going in. It's like, you guys take my car. Meet me back here in a half hour. Uh, I'll take your best flashlight. I've got my camera. I'm going in. And a gall full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> I, I I start making the hike, and about halfway down the trail, I'm thinking, all right, this seemed like a really good idea, but I'm still in the middle of the woods alone at midnight. <laughs> uh, the, uh, not not ideal circumstances. Let's start poking now, holes in your own theory there. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to freak out just a little bit, and ahead of me, I see what looks to be. A human-sized apparition on the trail ahead of me. I'm like, okay, you're freaking out, and you're seeing stuff that's not there. Boy. And uh, it was kind of a, I don't know if you guys are into, like, next generation, but the whole, there are three lights. Mm -hmm. I I was like, okay, you're seeing stuff that's not there. It's not there. And, like, it disappeared uh, until I got within about five feet of it and nearly walked into a bed sheet that someone (laughs) had actually hung across the trail. (laughs) But, like, until I was to the point where my eyes could not deny its existence anymore, I didn't see it. Huh. And right after that, there was this weird-ass crash ahead of me in the woods. I could only describe it as if somebody had a giant box full of glass and metal and decided to, like, drop it in the woods. And then something moving faster than uh, any person or animal could... Uh, like vehicle speed, rushed across the path in front of me. I froze, didn't hear anything else, got into the cemetery, shot the 24 quickest photos I've shot in my entire life, (laughs) and half ran the quarter mile out of the woods. Wow. But that was the only time anything like actively really weird happened, and it was followed by the almost horror movie moment of, oh, look, it's just a sheet. Right. Right after I'd had that relieved breath and i was reflecting on the fact that i'd convinced myself something wasn't there that actually was yeah hmm. well see that happens i mean you you can start that what did i just see i mean did i or did i not see somebody in the backyard as an adult yeah you know did i or did i not see did, is that you know when you're a kid is that pile of laundry turning into a monster 
you know, because, you know, you start looking at it in the shadows and suddenly you see a face in there type of thing. You know, it's then you convince yourself that something's there, get yourself all worked up. I mean, now, I mean, I play, uh, you know, my favorite types of games are stuff like Silent Hill and um, uh, uh, Fatal Frame and that sort of thing. And, you know, you get this, you know, had the stereo hook up in the living room and I'm sitting there playing, you know, families out of town because whenever I play Silent Hill where they're around, they'll leave. Huh. Um, <laughs> in fact, Suzanne now has an irrational fear of mandolin music. Um, but, uh, you know, playing the game and you get that in your head and I'm sitting there and, you know, you guys know how my, my house is where the, the kitchen abuts to the living room and you got that open area there. And I'm sitting there and playing the game I'm like, I heard something in the kitchen. I'm a rational human being. I know for a fact Pyramid Head is not standing in my kitchen. <laughs> and I'm not going to turn around because I know that that's not real. And then the other side of my brain goes, yeah, that's what they say in the movies. He knows it's not real. Turn around, idiot. You know, just like, <laughs> Wait, yeah, if, if my life is a movie, everybody in the theater is going, why are you not turning around? Yeah, right. yeah. Sometimes late at night, I get that feeling like, you know, if my life were an elaborate horror movie, this would be the perfect time for the demon to strike. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just hate that feeling because in that moment, it's a totally rational thought to have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things I find interesting about Fear and Terror is its role in games. Uh, we got the tweet from Joe Abereno uh, asking us to talk about Little Fears. Uh, Little Fears is a horror tabletop RPG where you play as small children. Really? And uh, it basically says that of the uh, hundreds or thousands of children that go missing every year, yeah, some of them are taken by a relative. Some of them die and are never discovered, but others are taken by the monsters. And I think it works around the feeling of powerlessness, that there are some things that you can do as a child against the monsters, but like no adult is ever going to believe you. Uh, and you are like the ultimate powerless character. You're a small child. Wow. And yeah, it's rough. I, I, I bought a copy of it because I've taken an interest in my years. Uh, as I said in the D&D show, I've been doing tabletop RPGs practically my entire life, like from the age of eight onward. And uh, I've kind of made a specialty out of running horror games, Call of Cthulhu, um, horror elements in D&D. And a lot of it, it comes down to this sort of, it has to be, everyone has to be prepared to be scared. Uh, the same thing happens in horror movies, where if you walk into a horror movie saying, this can't possibly scare me, you're absolutely right, and you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. yeah, but if you're prepared to accept it at face value, to bite back the humor that's going to diffuse the situation, and allow yourself to buy into the scenario and feel the terror and dread in a safe environment... Uh, can be one of the most powerful emotions that can be uh, felt safely in a uh, tabletop game. Well, I was going to teach the girls how to play Shadowrun, but I think I got a new game up now. I'm sure, I'm sure that one will go well with with Sophie. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Every time she sees a table, she starts screaming. Yeah. You fi you finally got her you know to stop crying on a daily basis, and you're going to introduce her to Call of Cthulhu. Good job. <laughs> No, I was going to say that little fears. I mean, why not? You know, oh, little yeah, 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 oh, that yeah, that's a good just idea. Push her in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So some of the elements we talked about in the first half of the show: nightmares or scary movies. Uh, anything new? The ring. The oh, I was thinking the ring. same thing. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. To this day, the ring is the movie I own on DVD that I have not seen on DVD because I saw it in the theater and it fucked me up for like two weeks. Saw it at home. Went to bed, 
That was about the same time that Katie wasn't staying. Oh, Katie or Sophie? Sophie wasn't staying in bed. I go to sleep. Finally relieved that, is it Alma is the girl? Samara. 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 Samara's not going to kill me. (laughs) And I get a nudge. Somebody touches me in the middle of the night. (laughs) From the Ah! wrong from the wrong side of the bed i wake up open my eyes this is when sophie had waist long hair (laughs) i slept on the side with the window so i've got the outline of this child with his long hair hair kind of head down hand out going daddy (laughs) and you punched her right in the face regardless to say in mere seconds everybody was awake (laughs) Yeah, I would have peed myself and jumped straight out the window. Yeah, it was, and you know, and everybody's crying. I'm screaming like a little girl. Sophie's screaming because she is a little girl. <laughs> Suzanne's screaming because she doesn't know what's going on. Everybody's, everybody's screaming. And, you know, it's, I think, I hate to say, but that may have been, been the start of something. <laughs> but it was just like, all I knew is like you watch that movie and, you know, you're like, I'm fine. I'm an adult. I know it was just a movie. Daddy, woo! <laughs> That was fun. That was a great night. That was you know, awesome. <laughs> um, it didn't happen after the ring, which incidentally, the ring is one of those that I agree with you on. Um, but uh, Isaiah, at one point, used to get up in the middle of the night and come in to tell us, you know, he had to go to the bathroom. Well, he didn't come in and tell us. He would come in and stand next to me and just wait. Oh, why do they do that shit, man? <laughs> so I could feel that there was somebody there in my sleep, apparently, because all of a sudden I bolt <laughs> awake and I look in front of me and there's a little boy standing over me just staring. And at first when you don't, your body isn't, your brain isn't caught up with the fact of who it is. Yeah, it's not a, that's not a fun feeling. You're, you're like, am I in a horror movie? What's going on here? Because you know there's really a person there, but you're not quite sure who it is yet. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, it's, or the, or the creaking in the house thing. It's like, you know, there's that one point in the floor where you, when you walk and you always hear that, that's, that single noise creak that, and you know, that's, that's just where that floor creaks. And then you're in bed and you hear that floor creak. (laughs) And you're like, no, again, I'm a rational human being. I'm not, (laughs) not doing this, not waking up. People in the theater are going, why are you not out of bed yet? I know there's not a man with a butcher knife and a Richard Nixon mask on standing in my hallway. I know this. <laughs> no, and it's and it's and it's it's you do that that uh, I don't know rationalization to you is the best way to describe it. I'm I'm people don't think like this type of thing. Like this is not something that I should be getting worked up about. Right now, I sleep with the fan on. If I can't hear it, it ain't happening. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. The only time, and uh, this is this is something I can relate to Joel with. Uh, the only time I've ever actually been real, like actually scared for a while um, by an event in my life uh, was when I uh, when I got pistol whipped and carjacked when I lived up in Rogers Park. Mm. Uh, that that messed me up for a couple months, where I couldn't even like walk down the street. If anybody if anybody was walking towards me, I would just kind of like freeze up. I'd be like, "Is this person going to try to kill me?" <laughs> Yeah, I can see how that. I mean, it's never happened to me, but I can understand how that would make your you would be on defense all the time. And not to mention, I was walking around looking like the elephant man because my head was all swollen up. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, similar situation. I mean, I, I, you know, you get kicked in the back of the head, you're forced to the ground, got a gun against your back, and and in that exact moment, 
it, it's the closest I've ever fen- felt to being that, that, that thing they talk about where you have that out of body experience where all of a sudden I like pulled myself out of where I was and I could see one of the four people standing over me with a gun and I could feel the gun against my back even when it wasn't there. And at that moment, you, everything just kind of rushes past you and it's like, I could literally be gone in the next millisecond. Yep. And you have no control over it. I mean, you have no, it's not up to you at that point. Your goal is to either, you know, comply and hope that you move on or, you know, fight back or whatever your, your response is going to be. But for me at that moment, it was me and, and three other friends and there were four of them each who had guns. We're, we're stopped out in front of, of my friend Josh's house, Josh from high school, not this Josh. And he lives, he lives there. And inside the house, there's only three people home, his mom and his two brothers who are about six and 10. And at one point, one of the guys that's, that's holding us turns to, a, to, to Josh and he's like, he looks at it, you know, he's looking at his wallet and he's, he's like, he's like, where you live? And, you know, Josh doesn't really want to tell him where he lives, but, you know, he can see his driver's license and they start talking about, well, what do you got inside? And at that moment, I was already scared, but my heart just sank because the thought of it continuing hmm. and the thought of, of bringing his mom and his two brothers into it, I talk about fear. I mean, that, that, that was the height of my, the, the scaredest I've ever been in my life, I think to this day. And luckily they, there was another the car turned and, you know, they got freaked out and took off, but you know, uh, who knows if that wouldn't have happened. And, and, and the one redeeming factor was after it ended, we were, we were, Josh and I were sitting on the porch because the other two guys had, had left and we're waiting, um, for the cops to show up. Well, well, when I say left, like one was upstairs and the other one, I don't know where he was, but, um, we see a car drive by and this was near the hospital or the teaching hospital. And it, it's two houses down from where we were. It pulls in and getting out of the car is a woman about 23 years old is getting home from night, sc- night school at the nurses college. And we were like, you know, if, if we wouldn't have been here and it wouldn't have been us, it would have been her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thought of four guys with the guns with one very attractive 20 year old woman, I, at that moment, I'm like, you know, <laughs> it sucks, but you know, I'm 18. I'll get over it. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry not to go down that road. I didn't mean to. No, no. I mean that's what the story is about. I mean Side that's track. what we're talking. That's yeah. What... This is an unusually heavy episode. This is like on a very special 40 going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we promise not to do this more than a hundred every 112 episodes. <laughs> now we got to talk about Mr. Horton's bike shop. Oh no! Uh, I, no. I was gonna just real quick. The uh, I just realized that or remembered another movie that, as an adult, messed with me. Open Water. Oh, we were I could about see that earlier. That yep, but you you bringing it up just you know it kind of came back to me just now because yeah that movie I, I remember seeing that movie and the Blair Witch Project. I saw both of those in the theater and they both really messed with me because I saw the Blair Witch Project before all the hype and everything. Yeah, I saw Did it. You, and you know, I got to, I got to see it in a pre. And like you it was a us. screening that I got to see, so it was before it was even really released. Yeah, at the Lake Theater with Peter, right? Uh, yeah. Was it that? Were you in the theater where there was? I, this is going to sound horrible, but the kid with Down syndrome in the back of the theater? No, it doesn't oh, ring God. a bell. I'm trying to remember who I because I know I maybe I went and saw it with Dennis or I saw it with somebody. I know I didn't it, see it I with mean, Suzanne. Seeing that for the first time, not having, not knowing anything about it, just going into it, yeah, it was that was a really scary movie. Well, no, I mean, and, and why? Okay, the Down syndrome actually has a significance to the fear of this. 
watching that for the first time, seeing it, and the whole time, the kid is in the back, and he's just going, uh, uh. so it's like when there's this lull in whatever's going on in the show, you've got this thing going on behind you also. That makes me sound like a terrible person, but it scared the crap out of me. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm going to censor myself and not say what I almost just said. So Wow. And that's only going to happen once every 112 shows, too. <laughs> Don't so, bring me down. Let's and let let's 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 break this. What what are we doing next week? Wait, are we crying? done? Are we done? <laughs> we're I, going uh, to be crying. Yeah, I think week. we're talking about <laughs> our favorite glasses of tears. <laughs> and um, we got to leave this on an on an up note. All right. Well, <laughs> next week we're getting around to a, a topic that uh, is we've kicked around for a while. We're getting into hockey season, and even though we're not all sports guys, we are movie guys. And uh, there's the uh, hockey film Slapshot versus the more modern Goon. Yep. They shared so, enough uh, things in similar that we're thinking we're going to do that as for uh, next week. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I just said. <laughs> I don't want to see that sentence diagrammed. <laughs> no, um, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> Mike's grammar scares me. <laughs> <laughs> so Slapshot and Goon next week. If you have, I don't think... How many of us have seen both of them? I have. I haven't seen either. So oh, either. see, that's three of us that haven't seen either, and uh, Joel's seen, seen both. both. Mm. Yeah, it's been a long time for both, but if anybody's wondering, we're talking about Goon, the Sean William Scott movie, not Goon, the unreleased comic book adaptation. Cause that'd be silly, because it's not a hockey movie. So yeah, Hockey Films next week. If you'd like to check out our older shows, you can check out our archives on uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and of course the entire archives from 1 to now 111 on TalkShoe. Yep, and if you want to get in touch with us and give us an idea for uh, a show maybe that's happy and joyful and in the sunlight, uh, call us at (laughs) 708 now Wrap. Got myself depressed there. 708 669 9727. You are now leading the world of Musings of a Geek Podcast Network. Stay geeky, my friends. <laughs> I'm going to be up all night peeing. Blood. Or vomiting uncontrollably. Horror Ugh. vomit. Horror vomit. Bazooka vomit. Oh, I hated that candy. And the comic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't sell as well. Yeah. Came in a bag. That was weird. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Open up a bag of bazooka vomit. That stuff will make you sick. Blech. <laughs> Good night.